Hey, it's good to have you here with us this morning. Uh, we have been working through this story. Uh, can we get the PowerPoint flipped over? Um, we've been working through this story. It's called His Story, a 52-week series. We've been walking through the story of the Bible, seeing how it all fits together as one big story. And this week, it's chapter 16. We're going to look at, at Joseph. And uh, if you are new here with us or kind of jumped in halfway through, we're glad you're here. And just wanted to let you know of a resource. We've been walking through the story of the Bible in our sermon series on Sunday mornings, but we've also been walking through the story in a daily reading program called Own It 365. This is something that we've been doing together as a church. It's been a wonderful experience where each of us are reading the same verses in the morning, uh, and, and so, or whenever you might read, um, and we were able to share with each other and say, hey, I was reading this today and I was really encouraged by that. And, and I'm talking to Jacob or Blair or Drew or my parents or somebody about it. And uh, it's just a really cool thing. And if you're going, I don't know what you're talking about, how to get plugged into that. Um, you go to our church website on the homepage, Own It 365. It gives you all that information. Um, there's reading plans on the smartphone, tablet, computer. And we also have physical copies for you dinosaurs. If you want to go back in the back on the, on the red table, uh, there's a reading plan back there for you. As Jeannie says, you can't say that in church. Okay, sorry. Uh, for young and old alike, how's that? Uh, you can, all right, sorry, I've alienated some of my audience this morning. Um, and as you remember, the other thing we've been doing is we've been walking through the story, and this has been our timeline, to help us remember the key elements and to keep it all together as one big story. So, yeah, I know, it's, it's that time, it's your favorite time. Let's see if we can remember our motions. We've got God, then we've got creation, then we've got the fall, there was a promise, then we had the flood, then there's the tower, and now we've been working on the patriarchs. Very good. You guys look beautiful. Um, sometimes in our lives, we, we face trials because of our own stupidity. Amen? Uh, when I was in college, I was home for the summer babysitting an eight-year-old. I don't know what his parents were thinking, letting me do that. And we were at the, the golf range, the golf course in Soldatna. He was practicing at the driving range and flinging that club, club all around. And in my infinite wisdom, I thought, he needs to stop doing that. And so I'm going to walk over to him and, and ration with him. You know, just talking. And, and as I came over there, uh, he continued to swing. And this is the result. Um, I, yeah, you should see the other guy. No, I didn't. Um, so I, my, own, my own foolishness led to this trial, this, this ER visit in my life. And sometimes it is our own foolishness that takes us to these hard places. But there are other times when we face trials because of what other people have done to us. And I think about a room this size, many of us have been very hurt, very wronged. We've been abused, we've been neglected, we've been manipulated, we've been used by other people. And face very difficult situations. And as we were walking through this story, what we've seen from the patriarchs is that we saw how God used Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in spite of their own foolishness and their own sins. Yes, these are the fathers of our faith, but they are sinners coming from Adam, born separated from God, rebels just like you and I are. But what we're going to look at this morning is, is Joseph, Jacob's son. And what we're going to see from Joseph is how God uses us in spite of the sin and the foolishness of other people. And you probably know the verse uh, in Genesis 50, 20. You intended me, him talking to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. 
And, and here's what we're going to see this morning. Is that regardless of the evil and the foolishness, whether it's self-imposed from within or whether it's done from the outside by others, God is using the foolishness and sinfulness of this world and none of them are outside the scope of his sovereignty and his good, good plan for us. But what we're going to find is that good plan that God has for you and me, it may not be what you think it is. How's that for a teaser? All right. So here's Jacob's sons. I'm going to start here. Genesis chapter 30. Um, As you know, the 12 tribes of Israel, this is where they originate, are Jacob's children. Now remember, Jacob, he had two wives, right? Leah and Rachel. Rachel is his favorite. Remember, that was the one he originally had eyes for, the one he wanted to marry. Laban tricks him into marrying Leah, and he has to work seven more years to get Rachel. So he has these two wives, and what happens is the the odd wife out, Leah, the, the Genesis says that the Lord opened her womb, but Rachel was still barren, just like Rebecca, and just like Sarah, she was unable to bear children at that time. So he actually has four children with Leah off the bat. We have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and baby Judah. They all come onto the scene. They're so cute. And um, Judah, it's interesting to note here with Judah, God actually, Jacob, at the end of his life, he, he's making these, these blessings and these prophecies about his children. And on Judah, he says, your line is going to be the line of kings. And in fact, there's going to be this one king that's going to come from your line that all nations will be blessed by. Look at what he says in Genesis 49. The scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs. Remember the one, the coming deliverer, the one whom who's gonna, all nations will be blessed through this nation. Here's the deliverer, the one whom all nations will honor. He says, your line is going to be a kingly line. And we, of course, know Jesus, King Jesus. It's called the Lion of Judah, coming from Judah. And this is where we first see that prophesied. Um, and then Rachel, she turns to Jacob. Not, she doesn't like what's going on. She tells him, give me kids. This is what the New Living says. Give me kids or I'll die. And what Jacob says, he goes, listen, if the Lord has closed your womb, what can I do about it? Then she goes, fine, if you can't have kids with me, sleep with my servant Bilhah. Okay, we've seen this before, right? And we saw this play out with Abraham. So he does, and with Bilhah, he has two more kids, Dan and Naphtali. And Leah goes, okay, two can play that game. If you're going to sleep with her maidservant, you've got to sleep with my maidservant. So then she makes him sleep with Zilpah, and they have Gad and Asher. Now this bizarre scene comes on where Rachel sees Reuben, and, and it's Leah's oldest. He has some mandrakes. And she goes, hey, give me some of those mandrakes. And Leah says, get your so- hands off my son's mandrakes. And, and, and Rachel says to Leah, I'll let you sleep with Jacob if you give me some of them mandrakes. I don't know wh- how she has the power to pull strings like that, but she does. She gets the mandrakes, and, and, Ra- and Jacob goes to bed with Leah. The Lord opens her womb again, and she has Isaac and Zebulon, kids number 9 and 10. All right, All the mothers going, what in the world? And finally, at long last, the the, uh, Genesis says, God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and opened her womb. And she has Joseph. And then a few years later, she gives birth to Benjamin. So there you have it, the Jerry Springer version of the future 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, uh, So so we're going to zoom in on Joseph here. Joseph, we're going to see that at the beginning of his life, he's rejected by his own family. Verse 1 of Genesis 37. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his fathers had lived as a foreigner. If you remember our story, Jacob flees Israel. 
because he's got a beef with his brother, the promised land. He, he's been a deceiver. God has him go up to Haran. He comes back down. Remember, that's the scene that we were at last week where he's wrestling with God. God's bringing him to the point of surrender. And now he's ready to re-enter the promised land with his family. And that's what happens here in Genesis 37. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, the maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpha. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Joseph is the world's first tattletale. Okay? He goes to his father, reports, Dad, they are slacking. Okay? They are not doing what they're told. And then look at what happens. This gets worse. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children. Because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. I also think it was partly because he was born from Rachel, his favorite wife. Uh, don't have a favorite wife, okay? Just go with one. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. As we know, okay, the Technicolor dream coat. Um, Joseph has this coat of many colors. And I'll tell you, the combination of, of Jacob playing favorites and tattletale boy, that's a recipe for disaster. And as you could expect, verse 4, his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They could not say a kind word to him, and, and you can't really blame them, can you? Dad plays favorites. It'd be a hard thing to deal with, but that does not justify their subsequent actions. Because to pour proverbial salt on the wound, Jacob, or excuse me, Joseph, he has these dreams. And in his dreams, these stars and the sun and the moon are bowing down to him, and these grains are bowing down to him, and he has the bright idea that he needs to tell his brothers what this dream means. So, um, I'd say if, if Joseph has any wart, it is his lack of filter. Um, they're sitting at breakfast, eating Cheerios, you know, they're all sitting at the long table together. And, uh, you know, Joseph says, hey, anybody have any cool dreams last night? Oh, I did. I did. I had this dream. You all bowed down and worshipped me. Isn't that crazy? And the brothers, they go, that's it. That's it. They huddle up, and they go, let's kill him. Okay? It's a rash, rational response, right? Let's kill him. Let's, let's take daddy's favorite out. And so they're going to, they throw him in this pit. They're going to they're gonna kill him. Reuben persuades them, don't, don't, let's not knock him off. Let's slow down a little bit. And they eventually, for 20 pieces of silver, sell their brother into slavery. There's Ishmaelite slave traders. Remember Ishmael, Abraham's other son, the non-promised line son. They, they, these traders come across. They sell them to the traders who take him down to Egypt. But we know this is all part of God's plan, even when he's been betrayed by his own brothers. And we see God is going to begin to refine Joseph. He has this grand plan. And there's a roller coaster that Joseph's about to get on. His life is about to go up and down and up and down. And he's purchased by Pharaoh's, the captain of the guards. His name is Potiphar. So he goes to this house and it says that Joseph succeeded in everything he did because the Lord was with him. Everything Joseph touches, he's the golden boy. Everything he touches is successful. And, and, and you read that, and you must mean, okay, well, if, if God's blessing him and everything he does, he's got a pretty cush life, right? Things are going pretty well. Well, you know the story. It's not all gravy. He's put in charge of Potiphar's entire household, and Potiphar's wife, she starts eyeballing Joseph, right? She's like, man, that boy is chiseled. 
He's a Greek god. Actually, the, new, the, the, the Hebrew is actually he has good form is what it means. Goes, yeah, he did, right? Potiphar's wife is digging his chili. And what, what, what it says in verse 9, it, Joseph, he turns to her. When she propositions him, this is his response. And this is, he said, how could I do such a wicked thing against, against Potiphar? How could I cheat on my, my master's wife? How much does that hurt? No, what does he say? It would be a great sin against who? Against God. Every sin in our lives, even when we harm other people and sin against other people, ultimately it is a sin against the Lord. He is the Holy One. He is our Maker. And when we rebel, it's all against Him. And even when we're doing sins in secret and we think this is not hurting anyone else, it is an affront to our Creator God. All sin is against God. So one day... One day, Potiphar's wife, she sneaks attacks. She sneak attacks them when, when they're all alone. She grabs him by the coat and says, sleep with me. And Joseph does this swim move, and he gets away from her. And, and you notice what happens is Joseph runs out of the house. And, and, and in the scripture, in the New Testament, it says we are called to flee, to flee immorality, to flee immorality. And, and Jesus says, he says these harsh words. He goes, if your eye causes you to lust, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, obviously, he's using hyperbole, but what Jesus is saying is take extreme measures to run from the sin in your life. If you have a pornography problem, throw out the laptop. You say, but I really need that. Have your wife put a password on the computer. Downgrade to a flip phone. You know what? There have been people for thousands of years who have lived without the iPhone. Okay? You can do it too. We take these extreme measures. He says, is it better to enter the kingdom with one eyeball or to lose your soul with two? You see, you see I, I saw this last week in my life. I had to take some extreme measures in my own approach to my smartphone. I had to get rid of some apps. I had to change the way, because I was seeing that all this time that I was spending, through, not even on like inherently bad things, but, but, but lesser things, things that distracted me from my relationship with God. And we're called to run. We're called to run. See, this is not a game that we're playing. Sin has real, it has major, it has eternal consequences. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Flee. Flee. So, so here's Potiphar's wife. She's left holding his cloak, and so she blows her rape whistle. What she says is, she tells Potiphar, Joseph tried to rape me, essentially, is what, what the version says. And, and, and so Potiphar, of course, he sides with Mrs. Potiphar, and he, he throws Joseph into prison. So again, the Lord makes Joseph successful in prison. The warden sees Joseph in his character, and he says, you're now second in command over this whole prison in charge of everybody else, all the other prisoners. So again, to recap here, Joseph, the Lord being with Joseph, the Lord making Joseph successful, first it means him being a good shepherd into which he gets betrayed by his brothers and sold as a slave. And then he's successful in Potiphar's house, which gets him thrown into prison. Okay, how do you like that for success, for God being with him? This, this is not how we'd paint the picture if we were writing the story. But in prison, a couple of Joseph's fellow inmates just happen to be um, part of Pharaoh's men. We have um, his baker and his cupbearer, okay? 
We have actual pictures of these guys. It's incredible, I know. <laughs> Google is awesome. Um, so so they, they say we have some insane dreams, and, and we need someone to interpret them. Well, Joseph's there, and everyone loves Joseph. So Joseph, could you tell us what these dreams mean? And he goes, okay, but you're not necessarily going to like it. And he says to the baker, he goes, um, listen, this means that you're going to die, and, and you're going to be hung by the week's end. Sorry, bro. Like, this is not going to go well for you, but, but the baker, for the cupbearer, there's better news. And he says, you're actually going to get your job back. You'll be bearing cups once again. And he says, now remember me. Don't forget who got you there uh, when you get to Pharaoh's court. And so um, everything happens just like God told Joseph it would. But of course, does the cupbearer remember Joe? No. No, he does not. But we see God is still in control. If this was a, uh, one of those biopic movies, I imagine Joseph being played by like Channing Tatum or something, and he's all chiseled and grizzled. And uh, this graphic would appear on, on the screen at this point two years later. Okay, so two years later, Pharaoh has these dreams, these terrible dreams. And honestly, these dreams would wig me out too. There is these seven fat cows who get eaten by seven skinny cows. This is a gross dream, okay? And then the same thing happens with, with this grain. Actually, it was, I was, this, this is the magic of YouTube. I found a, a little children's uh, Bible program, and they're actually reenacting this terrible scene. And I'm like, who is this leader of this, this cult? Like, what is going on here? It's terrifying, especially if you didn't have context. Um, so Pharaoh, he wakes up in this cold sweat. And he goes, somebody needs to explain these dreams to me. And he gets all of his magicians, all of the wisest men of Egypt, and no one can explain the dreams to me. He says, is there anybody else out there who's in the dream interpreting business? And all of a sudden, the cupbearer, oh, Joseph, right? And he has this moment, and I love the New Living, says, today I have been reminded of my failure. <laughs> I, I want to use that whenever I make mistakes in life. He says, I know a guy, and he runs off and he gets Joseph, and they say, can you tell us what this dream means? And I love his response. Verse 16 of Genesis 41, he goes, it's beyond my power to do this. In other words, the short answer is no, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And we have to be reminded this story is not about how great Joseph is. It's about how great Joseph's God is. And he goes, I can't do anything. I can't, I can't, I can't do miracles. I can't interpret dreams, but I know a guy. I know a God who can do this. And, go, and Joseph, the entire way, relies on his father. He walks by faith. And he goes, all right, listen, these fat cows, these seven fat cows mean seven years of plenty. There's going to be a lot of food, abundant crops and resources over the next seven years. But then the seven skinny cows mean that following that, there's going to be this drought that's going to swallow up those seven years of plenty. And he goes, now here's what you need to do. And I love this. Joe just takes over at this point, okay? Not only am I a dream interpreter, I'm also an agricultural advisor. So here's what you need to do. He says, you need to store up in those first seven years 20% of all of your abundance so that you're ready for those seven years of famine. And then I love, he's a sly dog. He goes, and then you're going to need someone who understands this, who can run the thing, right? And, and Pharaoh says, done. He says, it's going to be you, Joseph. You're going to be, in fact, in within 24 hours, Joseph goes from being in the slammer to being the second in command over all of Egypt. It's this continues to be this roller coaster ride for Joseph. And, and you notice again, it says God gives Joseph success in all that he does, regardless of, hear us, regardless of his circumstances, whether a shepherd 
whether a prisoner, whether in charge of all of Egypt. And you notice here in the story, you're never seeing Joseph complain about his circumstances. Even when he is wrongly treated, when he is wrongly accused. And this is, this is a lesson for us. Am I looking for my circumstances to change? Well, God, when things slow down a little bit, I'll start serving you. God, when you can, if you just give me that house, if you just give me that raise, if just that promotion, then things will be just like they need to be. Or am I willing to trust that the sovereign God has me exactly where he wants me to be? Now, that doesn't mean we can't change jobs and we can't get it, you know, but do we trust him where we are? And I've heard it said, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. Because if you're always looking for the grass on the other side to give you what you're looking for, you're going to be chasing that rainbow. And we know what Solomon said about looking for happiness under the sun. So the, ham, the, the famine, it hits just like God said it would. And it doesn't just happen in Egypt. It actually happens all over that area, including Canaan, where Jacob and his sons live. So they start running short on food, too. And so we see here, the last step, we're going to see Joseph reconcile with his family. 42.1, it says, When Jacob heard that the grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why are you standing around looking at each other? Okay, I love this. Joseph's like, or Jacob's like, I lost the only smart one. Right? Why? You bumbling fools. He goes, I have heard there's grain in Egypt. Go to Egypt and buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we're going to die. All right? Do I, have to, do I have to draw you a picture? Okay, go to Egypt and get some food. And so these guys stumble over each other on the way down to Egypt. And, and they come to the guy who's in charge of it all. And in verse 6, it says, Since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. And once again, even though it's a long time, God is faithful to his promise and to his word. And just like Joseph's dreams when he was a boy, his brothers bowed down and worshipped. Or they, they, they bowed down to him because he didn't bow to worship him. I don't get my theology messed up. Um, And now, they don't recognize Joseph right away. It's been a long time. And so he has a little bit of fun, some vengeful torturing of them, uh, before he finally comes to the point point. He, he reveals who he is. And I love his speech in, in Genesis 45. He says, I'm your brother, Joseph. The guy, remember the guy you sold into slavery into Egypt? But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Do you see what he said? This is profound. He goes, yes, you sold me into slavery. Yes, you were jealous. Yes, you wanted to take things into your own hands. But you're not the one that brought me here. You're not the one that sent me to Egypt. It was God. It was God. You can't thwart his plans. And, and, and why, did he, why did God bring him here? What does he say? To preserve the family. To preserve some survivors. Do you remember the promise that God made to Abraham and reiterated to Isaac and reiterated to Jacob? He said, I'm going to make you this great nation. And from you, all nations will be blessed as the deliverer comes through your line. Well, this great nation is once again in jeopardy of survival. If they don't get food, 
they will die. If Joseph was not sent to Egypt as a slave, if he was not put into prison by Potiphar, if he was not risen to prominence and put in this exact position at this exact time, the future tribes of Israel sheepishly peeking into the courtrooms, God's promise to Abraham is dead. You see, if Joseph's not sent to Egypt, the deliverer's line, it dies in Canaan, and God's promise is nullified. And if there's no deliverer, you and I are not in this room worshiping God through the name of Jesus in 2017. But here we see the grand conductor composing his symphony and every little detail of the way God is in control. And so the whole family, they moved down with Jacob into Egypt, or excuse me, with Joseph. And this is so cool because, again, if you go back, you rewind back to the early days of Abraham. God actually promised, because God sees everything, he knew this was coming. And he says to Abraham in Genesis 15, you can be sure, you can count on this, that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. And we'll see next week in Exodus, that's exactly how long they're in this land to the day. And so he knew this was coming. He says, you're gonna, I'm, I'm bringing you guys down here for a reason. And even this, being slaves, it does not look like a good plan. But God, he's got a bigger thing going here. So Jacob, eventually, they move down to Egypt. And Jacob eventually dies years later. And the brothers start freaking out. They said, well, maybe Joseph was just being nice to us for dad's sake. And so they come to him in, in Genesis 50. And they sent this message, message to their brother. Uh, before dad died, uh, he instructed us to say to you, Please forgive your brothers for, for the great wrong they did to you for their, their sin in treating you so cruelly. Now, you go back, there is no record of this conversation in Genesis, right? It didn't happen, at least as far as what we know. But they're going, uh, yeah, Dad said forgive us and be really nice to us and give us a lot of cool stuff. Uh, yeah, his word's not ours. Don't shoot the messenger, right? And, and so, they, and what Joseph says in response, and this is once again a man who, who trusts his God, he says, Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am, am I God that I can punish you? He goes, look, I, I'm not your judge. I'm not the one you have to answer to. And how often do we have to get this straight in our heads, okay? We are not the marshal walking around town righting wrongs, especially to those who have wronged us. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not says the Justin. I'm not the one who writes wrongs. And one day, Every wrong, every injustice will be righted. But today, unless he comes back today, it's not going to be today. But it will be righted, and every single person is going to stand before God, including you and including me. So he knows. He knows who's in charge. And, and then he says this, and this is the, the verse that we know. And he says, what you intended to harm me, God intended it all for good. Now, we know that verse, and we hear this all the time. God uses everything for good, for the good of those who love them. Romans 8, we, we know this. But I want us to check out this last line, because I think this is, the, this is what stuck out to me as, as profound. He said, he brought me to this position. Why? So I could save the lives of many people. Do, do you hear what he says here? He goes, the good, see, the good that ended up in, in Joseph's life is not that everything was hunky-dory for him. Yes, he's second in command of Egypt, and yes, he's healthy, and yes, he's wealthy, and yes, he is really, really good-looking, okay, if Potiphar's wife is an indication. But he says, the good, the good is not about me. 
He says, look, God used it for good. He used what you intended for harm for good for me, but not so that I could be hand-fed grapes and fanned with, with, with branches in the Egyptian palace. No, he says the good that he brought out of this, what you intended for harm, was this, so that I could save the lives of many people, including the very people who intended the harm on me in the first place. It's an amazing attitude. That God used this evil in my life to give me the privileged position of saving the lives of many. You see, Joseph gets it. He gets that his life is not about him. He's not the center of the universe. And God has this plan, and we're going to be a part of it. But at the end of the day, it's not, we're not the main character. That's it. We've, is there anything that we can get out of this story is that it's all about God, not about us. What man willed for evil, God willed the same thing for good. And this is, this is where I want us to land. Um, there's a couple principles that I think we can draw out of this for, for our benefit this morning. Number one is to be reminded that God is sovereign. The word here, intended for evil or meant for evil, it was this word in Hebrew that meant to weave, like somebody that was making something. And Joseph says, you were weaving this pathetic little plot of a plan that you thought you could get rid of me, and, and this thing that you were doing, he says, you had no idea that God was using your little weaving mess as a part of his grand tapestry that he was weaving together. And you had no idea that God was using your evil for this end. You see, God is sovereign, which means that he is the most powerful. He is the highest authority, and God wins every time. He does what he wants. And so step one for us is to get in line with that. We, we can fight God, and we can try to go against the grain, against his will. And he's going to use that. He's going to use our own rebellion, our own stubbornness for his grand tapestry. But life's going to go a lot better if we choose to, 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 to lean into that and be a part of his plan. But the second thing is that God uses our trials for the good of others, not just our own. Now, now yes, God, no, don't get me wrong here. God does use suffering for our own benefit. God wants us to enjoy him forever. And Romans 5 says that he uses our own suffering to develop endurance, which produces character in us, which gives us a hope. And we all need hope, a hope in our God. It says it points us to the love of God that the Holy Spirit is pouring out on us. Yes, God uses all things for our good, but it's not primarily about us. And, and and, and what Joseph says is, you brought me to this position so I could save the lives of other people. You see, God, here's the deal. God provides everything that you and I need. We have it all provided in Jesus. So we're good. Every need that we have in our lives has been met in Jesus and what he did in his death and resurrection. And it's just like the oxygen mask on the plane. You know, they always tell you, put your oxygen mask on first, and then you can help other people. Because if you're dead, you're not very helpful. And so what he's saying is if we have the oxygen mask on and we have Jesus, you're now free to use your life, whether living or dying or suffering, that every single thing we're doing, we don't have to take care of ourselves. God has taken care of us already so that we can now pour in every, energy, every ounce of energy in our lives to the saving of others. So self-examination time. I want you to ask yourself, how is God using the suffering and trials that I've gone through in my life, how is he using those for the good of other people? 
You see, God, and, and, and listen to me on this, God did not bring you where you are today by accident. Nothing in my life, nothing in your life was a mistake that was made, whether it was our own foolishness or whether it was something else somebody else did to us. God didn't go, oh, I didn't see that coming. That threw me off. That's outside of my plan for you. He's using all of those things for his purposes. And my prayer is that we would have eyes to see. Eyes to see. Now, we're always given the explanation. Joseph was given the explanation. We're not always given it. But I was looking at some of the ways that God uses man's plans for his end. And I thought about a couple of people. I was thinking about uh, Heather. I was with Heather and Tracy last night. You know, Heather shared her testimony with us on January 1st. So it's not me spoiling any confidential information that, that Heather went through a tough time of addiction in her life. But God used God used that addiction to bring her to a position, a uniquely positioned place where she could use her story, she could use her past to save the lives of many. And on March 1st, we're starting a ministry at the church called Celebrate Recovery. And you know what that's about? It's about reaching out to those in our community who've suffered from addiction, who have, who have hurts and hang-ups and habits in their lives, and to help through the power of Jesus to release them, to free them once again. God is using Heather's past to save the lives of many. A few weeks before that, a woman named Jennifer Waller came into our church and she shared what God is doing in her life, that she had a similar path to Heather's and she went through the prison systems and she's out on the other side by the grace of God and she said, you know what God's called me to now? Starting something called the Freedom House. Lisa mentioned it this morning. It's, it's a transition house for women coming out of prison those who have addiction backgrounds, to give them a safe place to redirect their lives and redeem them through the blood of Jesus. God is using her own past, what she had years ago intended for evil, intended for self-pleasure and fulfillment, God is using to save the lives of many. And, and I don't know what it is in your life, what, what your past is, what your hurts, what your hang-ups uh, are. But God can use all of that. He has put you in a unique position that I'm not in, that no one else is in, in order that we could save the lives of many. And this goes on, and I've got a list of these in your bulletin, but the Lee Shore Center is a place, and maybe you went through a time of, of sexual abuse or domestic violence, and that's real, especially in our area. And, and to be in a unique position, you know, as, as Corinthians says, to comfort others as we have been comforted. And to step into a place like the Lee Shore Center where it works with women and children who have gone through similar experiences. What about Priceless? It's a couple of our ladies who have been involved with this started in Anchorage. It's an organization that works to free those who have been a part of human trafficking, sex trafficking. And it's growing in Alaska. Another place to get plugged in. Of course, the ABC Pregnancy Care Center. Those who have, who have faced issues on one side or the other of abortion or, 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 or giving their children up for adoption. All those kind of areas, the ABC Pregnancy Care Center runs the spectrum on that. And I know several of our people in our church are already pressing into that. Uh, Chosen. Chosen is, is a new uh, ministry started over at Bertridge. Uh, our, our friends over there have started this amazing ministry that works with to come alongside those who are fostering or, or looking into adoptive uh, families. And, and even those of us who shouldn't be trusted with a kid of their own um, sh can come alongside these families to bring meals, to pray, to counsel. And how can we, as a, remember, we're not just anti-abortion. We are pro-life from womb to tomb. 
for all those image bearers of God, this is an amazing way to come alongside. And maybe you grew up in a foster situation or an adoptive situation. And there's a lot of resentment there. There's a lot of bitterness there. God maybe is using your past to be a part of something like this. Love Inc. for those who are, are homeless and in need to plug in there. Or, or, or Kairos. Uh, Al's going to come up and share at the end of our service about this prison ministry that's going to be going on next weekend. Maybe you've been uh, wrongly accused of things and were put in prison or, or mistreated in prison or, or held there longer than you ought to have been or your own mistakes brought you there. This is a chance to reach out to those who have gone through the same thing. The Friendship Mission, uh, which is a homeless shelter for men in North Kenai. And then finally, of course, the Food Bank for the homeless. And I don't just mean to, I'm not promoting any one uh, program. This is not about programs. This is also, maybe it's just your neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. But God has put you in the position that you're in, your life circumstances, the hurts in your life that were imposed by yourself or imposed by others to be a part of the specific calling in your life, which is the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples, to point Jesus, to point people to Jesus. And what I want to land the plane, though, is I want to say this. We're nobody's savior. We're nobody's savior. And this is all about the person of Jesus Christ. And so the only thing we're doing is pointing people to our savior. So what I want to show you here is I want us to look at how we see Jesus in Joseph. I, I think Joseph is a picture of Jesus. I think it's very clear as we walk, we're just going to go very, very quickly through this. Uh, but what we're going to see, Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob were shown all of their flaws. Joseph, we're not really shown a lot of his sin. Now, he's a sinner just like the rest of us. But I think God is painting a picture of the coming Messiah. Look at this. Joseph was dearly loved by his father. God loved his one and only son. Joseph was a shepherd of his father's sheep. Jesus is the great shepherd. Joseph was hated by his brothers. Jesus came unto his own, and his own did not receive him, even his own physical brothers. He was stripped of his clothing. He was sold for the price of a slave, both sold for silver. They were both taken to Egypt. They were both tempted. They were both falsely accused, bound in chains, condemned with criminals. Yet after he suffered, he was highly exalted. He was 30 years old when he began his public service. He wept for his own brothers that betrayed him, forgave those who had wronged him, and ultimately saved them from certain death. Moreover, what men did to hurt him, John MacArthur says, God turned around for good. When we read that verse, Genesis 50, 20, and what I want us to, when we read that verse, I want us to hear Jesus saying it to us. I think the truth is there, and it's actually deeper. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Jesus trusted his God that even when he couldn't make sense of it, he says, he says I, take this cut from me if you will, but not my will, but yours. And I'm so glad that Jesus was willing to be placed in that position so that he could suffer and die for us, that we might have life. And after that, we're out of Genesis. We're, uh, this, the foundations of our faith next week, we're going to look at Israel, the people of Israel, as they explode onto the scene in Egypt as we open up the book of Exodus. Father God, sometimes it's so hard for us to see what you're doing. And those of us right now who are particularly in the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, we don't understand. We don't understand how you're using this. Uh, what your plan is, and, and oftentimes you don't spell it out for us. Lord, just open our eyes to 
that we could look to you in faith and believe that even that none of us have messed up too much, that none of us have gone too far to be outside the grace of God. And, and, and maybe some of us have been hurt very deeply and very profoundly in our lives, maybe by a family member, maybe by somebody else from the outside, and, and these scars that we all bear. Lord, you are the God of grace that loves us deeper and is using these things in your grand design for these purposes in our life. You've given us all we need in Jesus. And may we be willing to surrender ourselves to you, to use us as you would to save the lives of many. There's a lost and dying world, the orphans and the widows and the homeless and the neglected and the abused right here in Sabatna and Kenai and Nikiski and Sterling and, and to the ends of Alaska and to the ends of the world. Father, may we prioritize and focus and believe that we are part of this great commission to go into the world and make disciples. For my brothers and sisters here, and for myself, that we would have eyes to see and to be thankful that you've brought us where you've brought us, that it would be your will and not ours, but it's all because of Jesus, who died for us, who rose for us, and now lives in us so that we might have freedom and hope and joy forever and forever in his name. Amen.